The Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. We're talking rural crime this week. The latest fly-tipping stats are in and we're out on the road with the police. And just as we start leaving, a call comes in about possible hare coursing taking place. So we're just heading to the Heckington area. Uh, we've had a report of a uh, Range Rover uh, potentially being involved in hare coursing. There's an agriculture careers event to tell you about. And have you ever played at farming? So, for example, casual players who don't like weeds, they can switch it off. <laughs> or if you don't play by the seasons, you can switch them off. <laughs> switch weeds off. That would be nice in yeah, real life. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll check the markets later. And I'm delighted to welcome back Sean Sparling with a walk through the crops and some time and important agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, what a wet and windy week. Hope you've not been blown away. It is better this week, the forecast coming at the end of the programme. Welcome to the Farming Programme podcast. I'm Steve Orchard. In the news this week, new updates to the free integrated pest management planning tool have been released, including the addition of more crop types, such as spring barley, wheat and beans, and more diverse rotations and support decisions on spring crops in IPM strategies. Users will also have the ability to view the previous year's pest, weed and disease issues, practices and comments so farm progress of IPM can be recorded. Farmers impacted by avian influenza, bird flu, could now receive increased statutory compensation for culled birds following an outbreak, following a successful representation by seven poultry producers in a judicial review brought by Jackson's Law. The government must now reconsider the amount of compensation paid to the seven farmers, which opens up claims for other poultry producers across the UK. The UK's first ever sunflower marketing pool has been created by United Oilseeds, as interest in the sunshine crop continues to rise. Seed supplier Grainseed has advised that demand could support 40,000 hectares of sunflowers in the UK. And agronomists are warning that significant areas of arable land are being taken out of food production and put into non-food producing SFI options. We'll have more on that from Sean Sparling at the ACII conference on next week's farming programme. Now, we may be in the depths of winter, but it won't be long before thoughts of kids and their parents will turn to what happens when I finish school in the summer. There's many and varied careers in agriculture and in a few days' time you'll be able to find out about the many options available at an Ag Careers event at Lincolnshire Showground. Here's Education Leads Susie Stone. So we invite a variety of different employers from around the county and wider, uh, really leading in their industry and they're going to host an exhibitor village so that students can come along and find out more about the world of agriculture, horticulture uh, and the food sector as well. So you say you've got lots of different companies coming. Give me an example of the kind of people you've got coming. Yeah, so all of our um, exhibitors that are coming from uh, different backgrounds uh, of of the world of agri-food, um, they're going to be uh, taking part in some interactive uh, activities to sort of really get the students uh, engaged. But we have people from uh, Dyson Farming, Class Eastern, Waldmarsh, uh, then also your Rice Home Colleges, your universities, and Agri-Siemens, the Environment Agency. There's a whole host of different backgrounds and interests for students to, to find out more about. 
And is this aimed at any particular age group? Can anybody come along? We aim at uh, year nine upwards, so anyone uh, from the age of 14 can come along, uh, colleges, further education. And you've got some speakers presenting at the event, haven't you? That's it, yeah. So we have an interactive exhibitor village that students can talk to the, the different people attending, but we also have some keynote speakers to try and inspire uh, young people into this industry. So we have Harper Adams University, Dyson Farming, Branson Limited, which are one of our leading sponsors, and such like. Okay, and as we mentioned, for some reason, apprenticeships don't seem to have really piqued the interest within farming as much as they have elsewhere. But you, you're talking apprenticeships as well? Yeah, so um, students can talk about apprenticeship opportunities, trainee programmes, um, some real great insights into the world of work, um, some really comprehensive information that they can find out about where their career pathways might lead them. Okay, and just finally, remind us when, where and where do we go for more information? So it's the 6th of February, uh, so coming up very soon, but there's still time to book on for students and industries as well. Um, if you want to get in touch at education at linkshireshowground.co.uk, um, we can tell you some more information. Uh, there are two sessions throughout the day, um, starting from 9.30 and closing at 2.30. All right, Susie, let's hope it's a well-attended event, which I'm sure it will be. Thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme again. Thank you very much. Have you ever just played at farming? Don't answer that. It seems that many do on PC, PlayStation, Xbox and the like. And at the recent Llama show, I found out about the Farming Simulator app from Wolfgang Ebert, marketing manager for Giant Software. Yeah, Farming Simulator is our game which started more than 15 years ago in 2008 was the first uh, product and over the years we really added more and more features uh, to the game more and more possibilities Uh, at its core you are playing as a farmer and you build your own farm you manage it and you have all kind of different aspects of farming so you can plant different crops you have 20 crops uh, in the game uh, you can also go for animal husbandry, you have cows, pigs, chicken, you know, whatever you actually want to do. Uh, we even have forestry for, for the winter time, for example. And um, this is all for you to manage your farm, to, to earn money, to buy new machinery, to expand um, your whole business. And yeah, have fun with that. And this is fun or is there a serious side to it? Um, there is, of course, a serious side to it because you can really go, I, I would say, you can challenge yourself, you know. Um, we have many things which are really optional in our game. So, for example, casual players who don't like weeds, they can switch it off. <laughs> or if you don't play by the seasons, you can switch them off. So you can switch <laughs> weeds off. That would be nice in yeah, real life, wouldn't exactly. it? exactly. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But you can, of course, challenge yourself. You can say, okay, I will... Um, switch nothing off I really challenge myself we have a, an, an additional uh, DLC which is called precision farming and there you can really go into detail with actually uh, check your nutrition really take um, first uh, check the, the soil and what kind of nutrition is uh, necessary for that particular area um, so you can yeah you can challenge yourself really hard in the game as well yeah, that is possible but it's not mandatory And you call it a game all the time, but are farmers using this 
not just as a game to simulate what their farm might be doing, use it in place of AI? Uh, of course, farmers can actually create or recreate their own farm uh, in our game. So we have many options. You can also change the terrain, actually create hills and, and all the, the, that stuff. So you really can create your kind of personal farm in, in a virtual world as well. Um, but it's not that far that you can actually kind of check check the AI, what kind of um, abilities your, your machinery has. Um, we have plenty of machines in our game. We, we're talking about hundreds. We have more than 150 agricultural brands in our game. But maybe you have one machine at your farm which is not in our game. That could also be, of course, an impossibility. So I would not say that people actually try to um, simulate it, but really they have fun in the end. And they have fun also trying different aspects of farming. So, for example, uh, thinking about the UK, I don't think that you have someone uh, planting cotton here. But in our game, you can do it. Or if you're going to go for uh, grapes, you can do it. And, and or olives, you can plant them and, and yeah, have fun with them. And this is usually, you mentioned about manufacturers, using the simulation for actual manufacturers' machines. Yes, so we have like hundreds of them in, in, in game. If you walk across Lama here, it's, it's really exciting because at almost every stand I see, oh, this, this machine, this manufacturer, we also have in our game. So that's really amazing. Yeah, we, we work with them very closely over the years. It's a fun story because um, if I would imagine going back 15 years when we started our farming simulator brand, um, we were as a newcomer and uh, the, the gaming industry was not as established nowadays already at that time this agricultural manufacturers were like oh, what is this about and nowadays it's completely different the manufacturers are coming to us and they are kind of I would not say begging but they are asking to be included into our game how many people have you actually got playing this game Oh, millions uh, so we have if you you need to consider we have different platforms playing um, so our mainline series is offered on PC, PlayStation and Xbox and we have uh, far more than 4 million uh, copies which we sold from our latest product, Farming Simulator 22. Then we also have uh, a mobile game. The recent one is Farming Simulator 23 which is on iOS, Android and also Nintendo Switch. And here we even have more players because it's a, a kind of yeah, cheaper game, for, cheaper to, to, to buy. And you can operate this in multiplayer mode in teams and the league of course tell us a bit about the farming simulator league yes exactly so i'm um, talking about our mainline game on pc playstation and xbox one really famous aspect is the multiplayer mode uh, the kind of traditional farming what i described earlier this is really about co-op gameplay so you help yourself you you can kind of the one is harvesting the, the other one is kind of delivering goods and so you're really playing together but we have also one special game mode, which is the arena mode, and this is about competition. So and this is where our farming simulator league comes in place. This is our eSports program, which is a, at first a kind of crazy idea because farming is all about, you know, you, you do your job uh, in our game. It's a relaxed experience, but suddenly it's about eSports and it's about competition. So what we created is a whole new map and a whole new system. Um, the thing is, you play in a team of three and your task is within a 10 minute time limit to get as many points as, as possible. First you need to uh, kind of select machines, then harvest wheat, uh, press bales and deliver those bales to your barn and then you get points for. 
this is the kind of basic thing, but there are much more complex systems um, behind. Just think about when you deliver your bales to the barn, you have a, a lower and an upper position, and the upper position brings more points, but the delivery is slower. So there are many kind of um, strategic elements included in the game as well, where really these teams playing here, participating at, at Lama, they know about that in detail, and they are training several times a week to yeah, participate in that, because at the end there's kind of a lot of money on the stake. Uh, in our current fifth season we are offering a prize pool of 200,000 euro. Now this is taking place at Lama, but this league continues all the time? Correct, so we started the current season uh, last year in summer and um, we attended uh, Gamescom, which is a major um, gaming uh, show, also Akritechnica in Hanover we've been last year. We're also doing online tournaments um, where yeah, basically everyone can participate. So as you said, we continue that, we continue with the season five and um, this is all about getting money for the um, individual uh, for, from the individual tournaments and then we have a kind of world championship in the end uh, where we crown the winner of the season. Fantastic. If somebody's interested in this and, like me, doesn't really know anything about it because I'm far too old to be doing gaming, <laughs> where can they go for information? Yeah, check our website, farming-simulator.com, and there's also a link to our Farming Simulator League. This is where you can get all information about our game and our esports initiative. Do you play? I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email, steve at linksfm.co.uk. Very much in the real world of farming, welcome back from his winter break, our independent agronomist, crop doctor Sean Sparling. We've missed you. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Long time no speak, isn't it? And I've been out wandering across my fields in the county for the last 14 days or so. And I have to say, it is a little bit disappointing out there. You know, nothing's really changed since before Christmas, other than some of these fields maybe aren't quite as bad as we thought. A lot of gappy fields, big wet holes in fields. But if you get the sun at the right angle, there's actually an awful lot more crop out in the fields than you might originally have thought. So don't be too hasty with the decision to go out and pull them up. Not that there's much point in most fields at the moment definitely too wet in most of my fields to redrill at the moment anyway and if you've got between 80 and 100 wheat plants per square meter that should still make you a good crop it needs about 100 plants per square meter or so for winter barley but when you go out and look you know 120 to 140 is way more common than 100 and of course the gappiness and the non-linear nature of these gaps is going to make redrilling really really difficult but there are plenty of people who are talking about just hooking the drill on and going out and patch the field where 75 to 80 percent of the rest of the fields are all right all of the wheat varieties as i've said before they can be drilled to the end of january but illuminate redwold blackstone champion gleam cranium they're all fine into the middle of february skyfall bruin bearstow swallow later than that into the end of february so with a bit of the dry stuff we may well get some more wheat in the ground the drills were out last week on four of my farms so never say never and all that it might be best though to talk to your advisor about whether to put a pre-em on or whether it's best to wait. Synmethylene, for example, that can go on pre-em through emergence up to growth stage 30. So there's time with that. But Avidex, Precluse, they have to be on pre-em. So do check the label regarding application timing, seed depth restrictions, etc. And do be realistic with your seed rates. Field losses can get up to 50% or so in some cases. So just make sure you're allowing for the seedbed conditions with whatever crop you're drilling, whether it be winter wheat or spring barley, etc. But as I say, before you go and rip the field up, 
don't forget winter wheat is a very good compensating plant. It'll compensate reasonably well from the adverse effects of waterlogging. We've seen it many, many times before, and it has the ability to pile on the yield later on in the season. You will, of course, need a following wind, but it will also depend on whether you can get a bit of early nitrogen on as soon as the soil and the ambient weather conditions allow you to do in February, because it's been such a wet run. We've had a lot of rain through October, November and December. You don't need me to tell you that. And the winter wet conditions just roll on. You know, I've had over 40 mil of rain so far in January. So knowing how certain nutrients behave in the wet conditions such as this, like sulfur will leach and of course nitrogen in particular, highly likely to have leached down through the profile. And we're probably going to be dealing with soils that have at least 40 kilos, even 50 or 60 kilos less nitrogen in them than we would normally expect there to be. So planning an early nitrogen dose on these crops to feed the plant and in order to make sure we kickstart that leaf growth to encourage tillers to form and obviously to stimulate the root development, not just hunger roots, but also to bulk out the main fibrous root system, which is pretty poor in the main out here in these crops, largely because they haven't had to look for water all autumn and therefore their root systems are pretty shallow and lateral rather than robust and deep. And as we know, a restricted root system, as well as the obvious, increases its vulnerability to drought and increases lodging risk, etc. So about 40 kilos or so of nitrogen early to mid-February, assuming you can get on early with that nitrogen. If you delayed into March for that first dose because of the weather or whatever, then probably 60 or even 70 kilos may well be better to then 80 kilos or more on the winter barleys for the first dose. And think about nutrition in general on all of these crops. Sulfur will have leached through too, as I said. So you're going to want to make sure you put some form of sulfate on in these early applications, preferably in the first dose. Then you're going to need to replace the lost zinc and copper, manganese, magnesium into these crops as well. And foliar applications may well prove to be the best idea onto crops with compromised root systems such as they are. And remember that if the roots can't access the nutrients, you're going to need to be on that and helping them by putting it onto the leaves itself. But nitrogen and sulfur in particular, very, very important and going to be required in the early stages into early February. Think about using variable rate application technology like the Yara system. Think about the green area index of your crop and requirements based upon that. Soil mineral nitrogen test might be a good idea this spring, if only to verify just how much nitrogen is actually available out there so you know what you're dealing with. Or at the very least, get your facts qualified advisor to work it all out based upon RB209 referring to those high overwinter rainfall tables. And of course, if it's spring crops that you're planning to put in and it's not winter crop, get any home save seed tested sooner rather than later. And then you can make alternative arrangements if necessary to do so. Spring barley happily drills from now until April. You're aiming to drill depending upon the thousand seed weight and it'll be around 45 grams or so the thousand seed weight in spring barley. You're going to be drilling around 200 kilograms per hectare to give you 300 established plants per square meter. You want to use higher seed rates on difficult seed beds or, or black grassy sites, of course. Spring wheat goes on a bit heavier than that. If you remember in 2020, it came very dry from March onwards, just as it could easily do this year, I suppose. So the spring wheats didn't tiller out. They only gave one main stem. So speak to your advisor about seed rates, but drilling usually spring wheats up to late March, 1,000 seed weights on spring wheat are going to be somewhere between 
between 45 and 50. So you're going to be drilling between 200 and 280 kilograms per hectare to give you 325 to 375 plants established per square meter and use the higher rates, as I say, for later drillings or into the black grassier site. Spring oats, a little bit early yet. You don't want to be going till early mid-February up to April, somewhere between 275, 300 plants per square meter established target on spring oat. Much lower population on the more fertile land. 1,000 seed weight of spring oats is going to be closer to 35 grams as well. So much lower seed rates on spring oats. They're likely to be somewhere between 125, 145 kilos per hectare. And of course, spring beans, and you want to be drilling them from middle of February to late March, and you're aiming for about 35, 38 plants per square meter on the heavier soils, 45 to 50 plants per square meter on the lighter soils. So for example, with a 1,000 seed weight of 550 grams, that's going to be between 230 and 330 kilograms per hectare. But that's a week or two away yet, though. Spring barley is going in on Lincoln Heath as we speak and on the kinder land, along with a bit of winter wheat now being drilled across the county where conditions allow. Oh, and the all-seed rate. Three days to get your propismide on now. 31st of January cut-off. There's plenty of flea beetle larvae out there in the all-seed rate. A lot of pigeons have found it as well. Few slugs too, so keep your fingers crossed is probably the best you can do on the rate. So all the problems we had pre-Christmas are still out there, but there are things we can do if the weather lets us do so. Good to be back. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Agronomist Sean Sparling back same time next week on The Farming Programme. In a moment, rural crime. The fly-tipping stats are in and we're out on the road with the police. Plus the markets and weather. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. Supplying the region for over 40 years. This is the weekly Farming Programme podcast, available from 7 every Sunday morning on the Lynx FM website, app, all podcast platforms, and on Smart Speaker. Ask it to play the Farming Programme from Apple Podcasts. To rural crime then. In a moment, hear what happened when we sent the Farming Programme Charlotte Lineker out for the day with Lincolnshire Police's Rural Crime Action Team. First, fly tipping. The latest stats are in and they look grim. CLA Acting Director Mark Riches. It's absolutely looking grim. And what you have to bear in mind is the fact that these figures are only talking about fly tipping on public land. The actual figure is far, far greater than that. Anybody who has, has fly tipping undertaken on their own private land, um, whether they be a landowner, farmer, or even just somebody who has something dumped on their driveway, they are liable for that. So not only they're a victim of crime, but also they have to pay to clear up after it. And if they didn't do so, potentially they risk being prosecuted themselves. Now, the only figures we do have, as you say, are for fly tipping on public land. How do those figures look? Um, well, in terms of Lincolnshire, there's been a slight drop in the number of fly tipping incidents with just over 12,000, but that's still just over 12,000 too many, to be honest. Um, any instance of fly tipping is just completely unacceptable. And I think it's worth bearing in mind the different types of fly tipping that we kind of talk about, generally split into two main sorts. Um, one being your kind of householder items. This is where we're appealing to people to sort of take a little bit more responsibility, um, but also be aware of what their liabilities and their duties are. But then you have kind of the larger scale, more kind of industrial scale fly tipping, which is largely undertaken by organised gangs um, and, and is putting money into organized crime and as you say there's there's a, a slight drop there's still way too many because the cost of this is not just the pounds and pence cost is it there's the environmental impact 
Absolutely. The cost of clearing it up environmentally in terms of the resources that takes and, you know, the damage it can do to nature, to wildlife and also to farm animals as well. You know, farm animals could get eating or, or injuring themselves on, on flight-saving incidents as well. And also people, you know, some of this waste can be pretty unpleasant and can be a hazard to both wildlife and, and people as well. Are the authorities, do you think, doing enough? Absolutely not. Um, in terms of there are, there are two ways that authorities can enforce against people. One is a fixed penalty notice and one is taking people through the courts. And there's been a significant drop in both of those. I think fixed penalty notices um, have dropped 20 percent and, and court prosecutions have dropped 17 percent. But also that that's at the enforcement end. I think it's also worth bearing in mind that the majority of people are responsible individuals. This is not by any means a a problem that, that kind of everybody's engaged with, but it's actually quite difficult for even people who want to do the right thing sometimes to do the right thing, whether whether it's charging to to enter household recycling centres and whether it's household recycling centres not being open at particularly convenient times for, for people. And also one thing that I would make your listeners aware of is if you are paying someone to take away your waste, make sure they are registered with the Environment Agency and have an Environment Agency waste handling licence, because if your waste is found to be fly tipped somewhere even if somebody else did that if it can be traced back to you 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 personally can still potentially be held liable for that that's interesting because the assumption would be for many people oh there's a man with a truck outside i'll pay him whatever it might be and he says yes he's authorized to do this he goes away my waste goes away end of story but what you're saying is if if i did this and he's not got a license to actually dispose of my waste properly I'm liable. That's scary. And I'm sure not an awful lot of people know that. But how does somebody find out and check whether a contractor is properly authorised? First of all, ask them if they have a waste handling licence. Most of them will be able to provide you with a copy of that fairly quickly, fairly easily. You can then check that um, on the Environment Agency website as well. So so if you just Google waste handling licence um, and it will come up and you can you can check online to make sure that A, they are who they say they are and B, that their licence is currently valid. What would the CLA on behalf of farmers and landowners like to see happen in response to these numbers? We would like to see stronger and better enforcement and, and not just stronger and better enforcement, but actually the police investigating in the first place or the local councils investigating in the first place. There's a bit of an issue in that the police, the local council and the environment agency all have different levels of responsibility for this. And quite often they all point at the other two um, to say it's their problem. And actually we need a very clear um, sort of line in the sand of who is responsible for for dealing with this, who is responsible for prosecuting, who is responsible for for helping with clear ups and things like that. So there needs to be very clear lines. We need to make sure that local authorities make it as easy as possible for people to responsibly dispose of their waste. And we need where there is clear evidence as to who is responsible for fixed penalty notices or prosecutions to take place and to be pushed forward. Bigger fines would that help? Do you think? Bigger fines will always help. That's not the only answer, though, because um, clearly, you know, with the, with the level of fly tipping that we get at the moment, um, the potential of fines are not putting people off because I think they just feel that they won't be fined at all in the first place because no one will bother to investigate it. I think just a concerted effort to actually make sure we are prosecuting and investigating in the first place these issues um, would, would, would be the first step. Absolutely. Mark, uh, thank you so much once again. Mark Riches from the CLA. Thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme.
Thank you, Steve. Fly tipping is, of course, just one element of rural crime. We sent the farming programme Charlotte Lineker out to see firsthand what Lincolnshire Police's rural crime action team have to deal with. So after a coffee and a natter, we started looking through body cam footage taken on an evening where four arrests took place. In one incident, a deer was found in the boot of a van and it had been gutted. DC Flint tells me that night poaching is a growing issue. The Royal Crime Action Team at the minute, we're in the middle of hair coursing season, so we're getting quite a few calls in relation to into relation to hair coursing. So we're going out most days pursuing, catching, and uh, dealing with hair coursers. Also having a lot of issues with night poaching, so people going out at night, lamping deer, badgers, foxes, you name it, they'll lamp it and then set their dogs on it to kill. Wildlife crime is difficult. It happens in the middle of nowhere, virtually no CCTV, not very many witnesses. It's really difficult to to pursue and that's why it's really important for us to have a team like this that know what we're looking for, know what we're dealing with and have contacts within the rural community and building up that trust. As we head over to the storage room to examine the deer, he tells me exactly what he's looking for. So this deer was recovered on early hours of Sunday morning in relation to a a potential night poaching offence. So I'm just examining the the carcass to see if there is any evidence that the the deer has been attacked and killed by dogs, which, looking at it, it does look like it has. It's got a big hole in the front of its throat, which is indicative. Generally, when dogs chase the deer, they do go for either the hind legs and also the, the throat as well to take the deer, deer down um, and it doesn't look like it to me this, dog, this deer has been attacked by a dog so what we'll be doing now is um, t- sending it off for a post-mortem to get that confirmed by an expert and we'll still also be swabbing the wounds for DNA to see if that there is dog saliva or dog DNA on, on the carcass of this deer. Next, we're off to the location where suspected poaching has taken place. While at Witham on the Hill, the local gamekeeper appears. He says this wasn't the first instance of people roaming over the fields here. We do come across where poachers have been across the fields. I've seen poachers which, when I've been sitting out come past me, but when there's five in the Land Rover Discovery, the odds are not very good. How big of an issue do you feel that it is? A uh, big issue, really. But it's the damage they do. That's the problem. They're not particularly bothered about people's property just grind the chains off so you lock the gates and, and they just cut straight through the lock with electric grinder so they're not particularly bothered they don't appreciate anybody's property it's horrible really because there's me doing it properly and then they just come round and what they do by poaching like that they make the deer very skittish so it makes our job even harder and just as we start leaving a call comes in about possible hair coursing taking place so we're just heading to the Heckington area. Uh, we've had a report of a uh, Range Rover uh, potentially being involved in hair coursing. So we're heading in the, uh, the general vicinity to see if we can find the vehicle. The focus on tackling hair coursing and poaching continues for the Rural Crime Action Team and having already reduced the numbers of incidents and crimes in the county last year using new tactics and legislation, they'll be hoping to have the same results at the end of this season. Thanks to our reporter, Charlotte Lineker. Lynx FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock and Louth Livestock Markets, Ed Middleton. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Steve. Uh, starting off with the prime cattle this week. Prime heifers all in average 291.11 and the prime steers all in average 266.3 pence per kilo. 
top spot, two weeks running in the pence per kilo and the pounds per head. This week goes to F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe at £1,835.70, uh, which equates to 316.5 pence per kilo. In the steers, JNS Brooks topped at £1,681.88. Moving swiftly on to the sheep, this week we had an all-in average of £136.55 and an all-in average in the pence per kilo of 286.3 pence per kilo. Top spot in the pence per kilo and the pounds per head were Paul and Ian Tuplin of Skegness at £162 or 329 pence per kilo. Their, run, their fantastic run of hogs um, averaged an eye-watering £155.42. Uh, moving on to the store lambs, just a couple of pens this week from K Bingham of Spalding, which topped at £90 with other pens at £84. Moving on to the cool ewes, this week we had a super average of £133.42 all in. Um, the top price this week was 184 from Emma Benge of Woodall Spa at £184. We're back business as usual again on Monday the 29th of January for the sale of prime cattle and all classes of sheep. Um, I'm Edward Middleton, auctioneer at Louth Livestock Market. Thanks, Ed. And to the grain markets with Open Fields' Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. As farmer strikes gather momentum in France and in other European countries also, the obvious hope is that they might see better returns for their produce. We follow the French, so we would benefit too. Sadly, their efforts have had little effect so far. Worryingly, when we spoke just after Christmas, we were still trading in the 195 to 205 range on May 24. It has since had a remarkable and very rapid decline. It's still trying to find a bottom. Internationally, not much has changed. Another large attack on Odessa midweek, but this seems to make very little difference anymore. Indeed, with exports last month of 4.8 million tonnes from its Black Sea ports, this number was higher for the first time than those under the official corridor which was supported by the UN. The main story of the last half of the week came from the AHDB, who released their latest thoughts on our own balance sheet for the 2023-24 season. It confirmed what we already know is the truth. We don't compete to export anything, so we have low export numbers for the year and our end season carryout rather unsurprisingly goes up. Many would argue we might actually need some of this for next year's crop, but that appears to be of no concern to anybody just at the moment. On to barley, you wouldn't think it if you tried to sell it, but according to the HDB, barley stocks are actually 7% lower year on year at 2.13 million tonnes. We're down on exports though, which we know with full season exports now put at 700,000, which would be 423,000 lower than last season. From July to November of this year, our exports were 31% lower year on year. Again, we're going to carry more barley than originally thought. End of season stocks are forecast at 1.43 million tonnes, the highest in nine years. On to oats. Those who do have oats will know that this, as well as beans, have been the only highlight so far. 41% lower year on year, the end of season stocks are forecast at just 83,000. Hopefully this might help next year's crops too which will likely be far higher than this year. I don't think we need to labour the point anymore at the moment. For market, it's been a pretty brutal month. The UK is no different to any other market around the world. We are all searching for demand. Without it, it's going to be a tough few months ahead as we roll along through to the end of the season. 
Markets, of course, never travel in the same direction the whole time, and with many question marks being raised for the next crop to harvest in circa six months' time, there is some hope for the commodity markets. But I suspect we're going to need some outside help from somebody to give us a proper boost in the right direction. A word on rapeseed and crude oil, which have moved in the right direction in the last 10 days. A couple of profit-taking days for rapeseed has taken back to under £350 per tonne mark in many places, but we have seen some upward movements at least. Both markets are trying to give their best to give us a little help. Some guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning. Feed wheat, February 170 to 180, November 185 to 195, with Group 1 milling premium still holding between 60 and 70 pounds. Feed barley, February 140 to 150, May 145 to 155, and November 155 to 165. All seed rape, February 345 to 350, and May 355 to 360. As usual, please call for firm values. Thanks, Alice. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A much easier week with no real rain to speak of. It'll be breezy, but nothing like last week. The winds, mostly from the south, gusty today, but mostly no more than mid-teens MPH. Daytime highs just nudging double figures, and overnights not much lower. Next week, we look ahead to the Lincolnshire Farming Conference and Yellow Wellies Mind Your Head Week, plus the week in agriculture. On the Farming Programme podcast, I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.